The Federation has failed you all. I failed you all. I broke faith with you. And the result was terrible. Pain and loss for you all. And I am sorry. What is this? The Vintage Picard Podcast. It's um, discussion, analysis, debate about Star Trek Picard. All right, good. It's really quite exciting, actually. Very good, fine, I'll listen. Engage. Welcome, 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 Picard people. I think I'm keeping it for now. Welcome to episode five of Vintage Picard, a podcast about Star Trek Picard and Star Trek at large. And we are very happy to be with you for another episode here. I am, of course, one of your hosts, Gary McComiskey, and my co-host. Hi, I'm James Sejazi. How you Glad doing, to pal? Be here for the ride. I'm doing pretty well, thank you. Good, good. So, you ready to talk some Picard? Yes, sir. All right. Well, I think we'll just jump right into it then, because I don't have any special news or notes uh, that I've unearthed this week, and there's nothing, you know, that we need to revisit that I know of. Is there anything that you noticed that bears revisiting? Uh, No, I think we did a pretty good job of um, taking care of the first few episodes, so let's jump into episode four. All right. Well, then, uh, you know, laying a course for season one, episode four, Absolute Candor. Hey, I think my Picard's getting better. Yes. Absolute candor. There, I gave him the extra 20 years. Brent Spiner would be very proud. Uh-huh. All right. Well, anyway, so Absolute Candor, which is this the first episode that is a direct, like, line from the show that they've used so far? Oh, uh, as far as I know, I can't even remember the previous three titles already. It was Remembrance was the first one. The second one was Maps and Legends. Uh And I still don't understand the maps part, but that's neither here nor there. And last week was The End is the Beginning. Oh, yeah. So I think this is the first time that they've used lines from the show as part of the title or as the title, I guess, in this case. Good catch. Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. Maybe it's just, I don't know. We'll see if they continue with it or if it's just something I'm paying unnecessary attention to. But regardless, we open absolute candor on the planet Vashti. And we know it's the planet Vashti because we get a handy dandy little caption that tells us so. It is Vashti, specifically the Romulan relocation hub. And we know that it is 14 years ago, specifically just before the Mars attack, which we will learn over the course of the story. But you know, spoilers, I'm letting you know it's just before the Mars attack. So on Vashti, we get some establishing shots, Romulans. It, it's kind of so the color palette is a little washed out. It's it's very, I don't, I didn't go to film school. I don't know a lot about color theory and, and how you, you know, light and, uh, and, 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 and color correct scenes and stuff like that. I am something of an amateur editor, but I don't know enough to know that. But regardless, it's definitely giving an air of kind of a ramshackle town. 
Although at this point in time, it is very kind of bustling and, and the people seem to have a positive attitude. But the, the colors are still a little bit, you know, this isn't the paradise that Romulus was. So we do see a bunch of Romulans that are hanging out. A, a hub of activity seems to be the uh, Romulan Social Club. And there we see some people playing cards. Now, interestingly, it looks like these are the same type of cards that Ramda was using in last week's episode. The triangular tarot card looking things. Maybe that's just Romulan playing cards and they have, you know, multiple purposes. I don't know. I've never played cards on Romulus. So <laughs> I really I don't have that frame of reference. I'm sorry. Uh, so, you know, everything seems to be. I don't know. It's a bustling town. There's it, it just it just has that kind of small town bustle to it. And we see uh, amongst the bustle, we see a, a young child, a, a young boy who goes up and, and steals like an apple looking thing from a stand and runs away. Or maybe maybe it kind of looks like a persimmon, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's or, or a large red pepper with some weird stuff glued to it. It's 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 meant to be some kind of, you know, fruit analog, you know, like you'd see uh, in, in, in one of those movies that takes place in the Middle East where some street urchin takes something and runs off. And uh, so immediately thereafter, we see Admiral Picard, because at this time he is, in fact, still Admiral Picard beaming into the middle of the square wearing basically <laughs> a plantation owner suit. I mean, yeah. this like. I hate to describe it that way, but that's a, that's what I immediately thought of. It's an all white suit with one of those like sun hats. I don't, it's, I don't know. I thought it was a questionable fashion choice, but I'm no fashion plate. So I guess I'm not the authority on that. I wasn't that extreme, but I did think of Panama Jack, actually. Yes, So, good. like, Panama Admiral Picard. But, yes, I was taken aback by that outfit and the big white hat. But he still had the uh, the, the, the com badge on his chest. On his jacket, yeah. <laughs> yeah on his jacket. Panama so. Jean-Luc. <laughs> there you go. All he needed were the sunglasses and he was good to go. Uh-huh. Anyway, so he beams in and he's immediately surrounded by people who greet him as a friend. Clearly, he is somebody who is is welcome and liked, well-liked in this place. So uh, he, he greets the people in the street, and then we go immediately to a scene inside a, um, I don't know, a house of some... An inter we go inside a, an interior structure. That's really specific, Gary. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Admiral Obvious. Um, <laughs> we, go, we go into this house that's... Clearly, I, I keep saying house. It's, I don't know. We go into this building. I, I'm spending too much time trying to describe what it is. It's basically, it's a, a place where people who we come to find out are, are sisters, you know, a, a, a religious order of a sort inhabit. So whatever you picture that to be, that's what it is. And uh, we find out that they are friendly with Picard. He comes in and he greets them, Jolan True which you may remember is a callback to the Next Generation episode Unification, where Picard and Data meet Spock on Romulus. And, and they, you know, they greet people with Jolan True, which is the way you greet people on Romulus, or greeted, I guess, at this point. Well, no, at this point, 14 years prior to the current events of the show, 
Romulus does still exist. The supernova has not yet occurred. So I'm sorry, I'm getting everybody all confused and I apologize. But so Jolan True is how he greets the sisters. And we also come to find out at this point that uh, the sisters care for little Aladdin who, who <laughs> stole the fruit and he is their charge. And in fact, he is like a bit of a Picard fanboy. He's <laughs> that's. That's cruel. That's not entirely accurate to what it is. He seems to be friendly. He likes Picard very much. And it seems like every time Picard visits, he comes by and visits these nuns and this little child. And, uh, you know, Picard feels the same. He likes the child very much. So it's it's not it's not like the one sided way in which I described it. So I apologize for that. And I guess what we would call the head nun, the the mother superior of this <laughs> order even though she's never given any such title. Uh, she points out to the child, who we will come to know is named Elnor. Uh, she points out that, in fact, Picard has a history of not liking children, which, uh, which we know from watching the series. I've never been particularly comfortable around children. But, you know, I guess with age comes a little bit of seasoning because he somewhat refutes that and says, no, no, I like this child very much. You know, I guess I guess he's come to uh, appreciate children, even though he doesn't have any of his own that we know of. And so he, in fact, uh, gets accosted by said child who basically says, what'd you bring me? And in fact, Picard brought him a copy, a, a paper copy of The Three Musketeers by Alexander Dumas, which, you know, I, I felt, James... I, I don't I don't know. This is apropos of nothing, but the way he said the three musketeers by Alexander Dumas kind of reminded me like it was almost as if he was pitching it, you know, like a commercial, <laughs> like uh, they, they like the three musketeers had paid for product placement there. We've seen enough. You made a sale. Good point. Yeah, that, that was kind of weird. Um, that's something that's tied in with the series so far. I know it's only four episodes in, but they really love physical books so i don't know if they have a problem with kindle or or uh, they, they, what's going on here this show isn't on amazon prime james your information is incorrect i mean th th there is a streaming war going on and they are they are deep in it and is this star trek's revenge on amazon ripping off the pad maybe well i think i mean i don't know what the timeline <laughs> is exactly but i think apple ripped off the pad more than anybody uh yeah, that, that's. Really I think uh, Amazon just kind of jumped on that that uh, train. Not to say that the e-reader, not to say that the iPad predated the e-reader as a concept, but I think given where Kindles have gone and given how that type of device has evolved, I think iPad was pretty much the kind of innovator of that sort of technology. In fact, I would think that's why it was called the iPad as much as any other reason, even though they would probably deny that for legal reasons. We are not accusing you of anything. But that has nothing to do with the show. What does have to do with the show is the fact that we learn that this religious order of sisters have played a pivotal role in the relocation of the Romulans on this planet Vashti. And in fact, they are very friendly and very capable and they have, I guess, a code that they live by, which we'll learn a little more about later. But for now, we, we learn that uh, if nothing else, this mother superior woman is uh, very kind of um, open 
and uh, and very honest. And in fact, when the boy Elnor reminds Picard that he made a promise previously to do something, we'd never actually learn what the promise was. But I think the implication is that he was going to read to him or do some activity with him. The mother superior is very quick to point out that he shouldn't be holding Picard to promises because promises are prisons and you don't want to be the jailer. But Picard is, you know, playful and and fun with it. And, you know, this is a really, this is a side of Picard that we rarely see. He's very friendly and jovial and and he's having fun. You know, he's he's kind of relaxed and he's he's just having fun, like with with people. You know, he's he's being playful and it's a side of Picard that we, you know, we haven't seen very much at all in this series, certainly, but we haven't seen it all from him really hardly ever. Starship captain's life is filled with solemn duty. But he is that way with these people. And in fact, he loves this child Elnor so much that he goes on to read him the book and teach him how to fence. And I got to tell you, James, that definitely reminded me of the times on the Enterprise when he was fencing with Guinan. Absolutely. And very good points, too, as uh, the, the series is really letting you see how much Picard cared about helping the Romulans. And again, this is my own personal confusion. I don't, with the timeline and the canon, mm-hmm. if the Romulans in Star Trek Picard still remember what he and, and Ambassador Spock did in uh, Unification, those uh, th- those episodes of The Next Generation. So if there's a tie-in there as well, where Picard's relationship runs really deep with the Romulans. And this was just an excellent example as to the relationships and, and the care and how deeply he felt about it. Um, so it all kind of comes full circle where we see why he was so betrayed by Starfleet when they backed out of, of helping out the Romulans when they really could have. I think he's probably more well-known on Romulus, and this is all speculation, it's not anything they go into, but he's probably more well-known on Romulus for stopping the coup that Shinzon attempted when he basically killed the Romulan Senate and uh, tried to take over the Romulan Empire in Nemesis. But, you know, I'm sure the, the Spock thing played a part too, although he wasn't there very long, honestly, and Spock did most of the work there. You know, he... Picard's main role in that arc was to thwart the Tal Shiar's attempted uh, infiltration of the Federation, I think, more than anything else. I don't know how celebrated he would be for that, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Honestly, the, the one thing that I found to be slightly out of step, and there's, there's nothing that openly contradicts it, but it just doesn't seem to fit with the timing. The one thing that seems slightly out of step is what happens next. And that is that while Picard is teaching Elnor to fence, he gets a call on his comm badge, except he has an earpiece, apparently. The one time in Star Trek where a comm badge is, is, uh, has headphones. The, but whatever. That's... <laughs> I'll allow it. That's good. He gets a call from Rafi, and it is the call to let him know that Mars is being attacked by the synths. It's, it's happening at that moment. And he, you know, seems a little bit, well, a lot bit shaken. And he immediately beams back up to the ship, apologizing, saying that, uh, you know, he's sorry he couldn't fulfill all of the obligations that he was there to fulfill. But 
he promised he'd be back soon. And, you know, so that's that's unfortunate. And from there we go into theme. It's uh it's 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 beam away into theme. But the one th- continuity thing that I got a little hung up on, again, it's a minor thing, is from the Short Treks episode, Children of Mars, where we first see the Mars attack on the screen, seemingly while the attack is going on, while the news is covering the attack, either as it happens or almost immediately after, like that night or something, we, uh, we see a quote, like they reached out to Picard for quote, uh, about how, you know, it's a terrible disaster and, and it's unthinkable, or I don't remember the exact phrasing, but given the timeline of events on Vashti, it doesn't seem like something that would be not plausible. It's plausible, but it doesn't seem like something that would likely fit narratively. But honestly, it's not a big enough thing for me to make more of a point than this about. What are you saying? But as I said, we go from there into theme and, you know, it's just the standard theme. But at the end of the theme, we learn one very key piece of information. And that is that this episode is directed by one of the greatest Star Trek directors of all time. The real number one, baby, Jonathan Frakes. Very good. Yep, not the dog. Nope. (laughs) Jonathan Frakes, yes, who is well known for directing some of the best episodes of Star Trek, some of my favorite episodes. Uh, His camera work is innovative. The acting in his stories is compelling. He's just really, he's really appreciated as a director, not just in Star Trek. He's directed many things, but... In Star Trek, he is well known as being one of the best directors. He directed First Contact, which I think a lot of people hold as the best of the Next Generation era films. And, uh, you know, he he just he's he's a very skilled guy. So to know that he is at the helm on this one is refreshing. And uh, so after we learn that Jonathan Frakes is directing this episode, we immediately go back to the ship, which... Last week, I dubbed the USS Van Halen mm-hmm. uh, for reasons that James elaborated on last week. And if you need a refresher on that, please feel free to listen to last week's episode. But uh, we we are on the bridge. Captain Rios is sitting in his chair reading his book, his paper book. The uh, what what is it, James? The the terrible impending depression of death. What is what is the name of this book? The tragic sense of life, which is a theme that they really enjoy hammering home like this. We're all going to die. It's inevitable thing. Like, I, I don't know. It's a little dark for my liking, but I, I get that that's the tone of this series. So I will accept that. Anyway, he's reading and Dr. Agnes Gerardi kind of wanders onto the bridge and basically complains about how bored she is. She sounds like my daughter. My nine-year-old daughter. I'm bored. There's nothing to do in space. Ah, well, that's too bad. Maybe you shouldn't have forced yourself on the trip then. Come in guns blazing, literally, too, by the way. Yeah, whatever. But (laughs) one interesting thing we do learn during this discussion about how very bored she is is that uh, for reasons that remain as yet undisclosed, it is a long story. Captain Rios only has Klingon opera available as his uh, holo programs. 
I'm glad you pointed that out because, as you said, yes, the USS Van Halen or the NCC 5150, I wanted to hear Van Halen. I was very, very disappointed with the Klingon opera. No offense, Mr. Worf. Well, I mean, she said that the hollows were Klingon opera. So that kind of tells me that those are like holodeck programs. Rios was listening to music that did not sound in any way Klingon as he was reading. It was a much more kind of neoclassical maybe it you know contemporary classical it was it was it was definitely not Klingon I'll, I'll yeah, say that that is that is true too and I'm not sure because I'm, I'm only able to watch these episodes on a computer not a tv with with good sound and things like that so it's the, the music that I've heard so far in the first few episodes is they sound like songs from our reality like from the 1950s and 60s but not exactly. It's kind of like that style, but it doesn't really sound like um, real songs. Everything old is new again, James. <laughs> yeah, retro. Right. Please, I, I, uh, please, I'm still trying to figure that one out from the last episode. That's also, oh, well, yes, I'm, let's not let's not go there. <laughs> it's also, honestly, from a practical standpoint, I'm sure it's easier to just kind of update old stuff than to come up with entirely new forms of music. Yeah, and again, I'm not sure if they're real. I haven't stayed to the last credits either to see if these were actual songs and stuff. It just it sounds like kind of Motown style, but it's not real actual uh, Motown songs. Yeah, yeah, I'll 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 go with that. But so one of the things that Dr. Girardi mentions while she is complaining about how bored she is is she remarks on the paper book that Rios is reading and said that she lived with a man who read paper books and often accosted him about that. And we come to find out that that man is her father. So James, I have a wild theory and I dropped another wild theory that has nothing to do with this on Twitter this week. So if you miss that, check that out. But this is my wild theory upon viewing this episode. James, I am hereby proposing as uh, a speculation that Bruce Maddox is Dr. Gerardi's father. Ooh. Yep. Whoa. It would, if, if you remember last week, I mentioned the initials of Dr. Agnes Gerardi being Dodge. So you could see how he could have created her and named her that as a tribute to Agnes if she is, in fact, his daughter. So, I, you know, it's, it's wild speculation, but it seems like she may not be telling us everything. And, you know, from a storytelling standpoint, it's a lot more interesting if she doesn't tell us everything, even though that kind of storytelling device is a little obvious. But, you know, if we've seen nothing else from this show, it is that the writers, if given the option, will always opt to do the obvious thing. So we'll see. I don't know. I could be way off base, but I'm staking my flag in that one. I like it. And yes, there's a lot of symbolism in this series so far, and that would be something really cool and interesting. So anyway, we are soon interrupted by, by that little tableau when Raffi barges in and demands to know why they have changed course when they're supposed to be on their way to free cloud. Now Raffi finds out that Picard has insisted that they make a stop at Vashti, which, you know, makes sense given the way the episode opened so that happens and then speaking of picard go ahead we then move to the ship's holodeck where we discover 
Well, first, we get that scene that I was talking up in the trailer last week with the birds flying overhead, and I said it might have something to do with Soji, but as I feared, previews always lie. It has nothing to do with Soji. It has nothing, in fact, to do with Data's dreams or the Romulan bird of prey either. It is just, in fact, birds flying around outside a holographic recreation of Picard's study back in the bar france and james this is a classic star trek move reusing the set that they spent so much money to build finding an excuse to have his study on the ship well in all yeah all honesty i hope they learned their lesson how they i know they didn't realize it at the time but the original series and even the next generation, right? The, I don't think that, that bridge exists either. So at least they learned their lesson. I hope that uh, these beloved props take care of them. Keep them in a warehouse. Let somebody else pay the bill, but still. No, you know, James, that is actually a really, I don't want to say tragedy, because, you know, especially in light of a lot of the things that have happened recently in Australia and elsewhere, you know, tragedy is a word that gets overused, but it is really, really unfortunate and short-sighted. The Next Generation Bridge, the Enterprise D Bridge set, at the end of Generations, when they destroyed the Enterprise D, they actually destroyed that set for the movie. No! No! I, I, I don't, I don't, why? So, yeah, <laughs> it's it's really, I mean, they have that recreation that they truck around in the, the Star Trek traveling exhibit that we went to a few years ago, but... It's not the same. Yeah, another really quick tangent before we get back into it. And, and thank you, Gary. Of course. Something that we appreciated very much and we didn't talk about yet on this podcast is that uh, there was something called Star Trek Continues, which was an excellent series. It was on uh, YouTube. I definitely recommend you check it out. It was based on the original series and it was all funded, I believe, by um, fans and, and professional actors. And stuff, but it was a lot of great things about it. But the point is that they had to recreate the original sets, and I thought they did such an excellent job in doing so. And I don't think it was funded by Paramount either. I think they were too lazy to do anything about that. But they did shut down Star Trek Continues. There were some great special guests that came on the show. It was great writing, something to check out too. Um, but uh, getting back to the Picard thing, I'm sorry that just, that that just kind of sparked my uh, admiration for Star Trek Continues. No, not that. That's fine and. Something that you will probably appreciate is I know you don't watch Discovery, but as I said, the second season of Discovery features the original Enterprise, the 1701. And so the scenes that take place on that ship, they made that ship gorgeous. Like it looks great. So, you know, you might want to, even if you're not going to check out the whole series, although you can since you have CBS All Access, but even if you don't, you should try and check out some of the scenes on that ship because it looks pretty good. And I will ask permission for the very generous man that gave me all access if that would be cool. But yes, that, that's something I would love to look forward to. So thank you, sir. So anyway, back to the holodeck and Le Bal, France. So Picard has had this study recreated allegedly because Jeban felt that he would be more at home if he had it. So he sent detailed scans of the actual thing and uh picard is discussing this whole thing with the emergency hospitality hologram which we come to learn came with the ship and which rios is not very fond of now 
you know, I I get the the different holograms with very specific job responsibilities and very strange, unique accents that all look like Rios. <laughs> I get that's going to be a running gag on this show, but it seems like something that they're going to the well way too often on and will wear a little thin if they keep doing it. Like the first couple I found funny. The second couple I found interesting. If like next week we we wind up with an emergency engineering hologram <laughs> and, you know, an emergency security hologram, I will start looking at my watch. Fair enough. But anyway, that's next week. Well, hopefully not next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so while they're discussing this, the the doorbell chimes which is an odd thing, I guess, for a holodeck door. But I guess, honestly, on the Enterprise D, when we saw the holodeck, when people needed to come in the holodeck, they just came in. They never politely rang the bell. So, you know, I guess this is a nice upgrade. But the doorbell chimes, and we get a nice, comfortable come from Picard, which, you know, uh, it's like putting on an old pair of pants or something. And uh, so... It, it, it's it's nice is what i'm saying it's not creepy um the, the anyway rafi comes charging in wanting to know what he thinks he's doing stopping at vashti with rios in tow as soon as rios walks into the holodeck the hospitality hologram makes himself scarce so you can tell they've had words in the past and you know so rafi does not want to go she thinks this is a terrible idea she wants to know if he's lost his mind going there and we come to learn that in the intervening 14 years, this planet and in fact, this entire sector have become very dangerous. And we also come to learn that that sweet looking Romulan bird of prey from the trailers is operating in the area. And it is now owned by a local warlord who uses it to kind of impose his will. Picard is, I would say, nonplussed <laughs> because, you know, he still needs to go there. And we find out the reason he needs to go there. It's not just nostalgia. It's not just guilt. Although we will come to learn there is a heaping helping of that, which, uh, you know, seems to flavor everything he does on this show. Uh, we also find out that that group of sisters, that religious order that we saw at the beginning of the show, they are the Kowat Malat. And they are warrior nuns. That is the exact word that is used to describe them, which Dr. Gerardi takes with the appropriate reaction of, wow, really? <laughs> so, you know, she's going to be our audience viewpoint character on this whole thing. So uh, basically, they are enemies of the Tal Shiar. They are very capable and feared warriors. And uh, Picard wants one. We come to learn a little bit more about their ethos, their way of life, and the primary thing that drives them is the way of absolute candor. And that is basically, the, the short version is they have no filter. Like, if it pops into their head, they say it. There's no pretense. There's no hemming and hawing. They just say what they think. And... So that's that's the premise here, and uh, that's what we're going with. And so that's what we can come to expect. And the final two things in this scene, first, uh, Rafi tries to kind of reason with him one more time, and he tells her without actually telling her that he's dying. 
he communicates he might not be back this way again so he needs to do this now and she seems to be you know a little bit devastated by the news visibly i will give both of them credit patrick stewart and michelle hurd who plays raffi they both play this scene beautifully so that's you know good on both of them and we are not left off with that, though. We are left off with a little comic relief when Dr. Gerardi says, uh, does anybody else think that this way of absolute candor sounds pretty annoying? And honestly, I know that that was supposed to be a funny line, but James, I think they're actually kind of setting us up for what to expect. I think that this absolute candor thing which is, is, spoiler, going to be a character trait of a future member of the crew, I think that's going to be like your, your Spock cold logic that butts up against McCoy's uh, humanity and, and, and kind of candor, frankly. Uh, I think that's going to be your data misunderstanding human culture and, and all that. I think that's going to be th this character's you know, trait that provides the comic relief for this series. So that's another thing I'm I'm speculating on, but I think that's kind of a safe assumption. What do you think? Anything that they could do in the formula of Star Trek, which uh, I'm, I, you know, again, we, we've said in the past what our fandom and appreciation of Star Trek is, I'm a fan of. So uh, that that's cool with me. That one of the things I did appreciate very much from the original series was that because I love Spock and I love McCoy too was that the the whole battle between them and the absolutely it would it would loosen up the episode and um so that that's good for me I, I i like it all right so from there we finally get back to the borg cube or the artifact as they call it annoyingly uh, and we discover soji who is watching tape of an interview of ramda from before she was assimilated as you recall she was the foremost expert in romulan mythology and so she's talking about presumably some ancient Romulan myth, specifically that of the Destroyer. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> Who, of course, she accused Soji of being in last week's episode. And one thing jumped out at me on multiple viewings here when she's, she's talking about the Destroyer, but specifically she mentions how on the day of reckoning or whatever they call it, Ganymede or what, what, what did they call it? I, I, yeah, I think it was Gamadon. Gamadon? Yeah, okay. Like I thought that was a Godzilla enemy, but whatever. Just say Armageddon, of, will you? Yeah, okay. On this day of Armageddon. Okay. I don't want to miss a thing. Um, that also took place in space. Right. On the day of Armageddon. So the shackled demons will break their chains and answer the call of the destroyer. What jumped out at me, James was the Mars attack when the synths, who you could call the shackled demons, broke their chains and lashed out as one to destroy Mars. And as you recall, they were reprogrammed, which means that they were following the commands of someone. Could that someone that they were following be Soji or the person who built Soji? They're definitely making it seem that way. And that's something I didn't appreciate too, was again, we said how uh, symbolic this series is so far, is there were subtitles. So there was a lot of things you had to pay attention to at once. And I'm just not that smart. 
And uh, one more thing too. I'm sorry. Uh, sure. Whenever we mention the Mars attack, I keep thinking of that hokey movie. movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so like, I don't know if they did that too on purpose because uh, I find no that very distracting. No way they did that on purpose. Tonally, it is the opposite of what they're going for. Bap bap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> sorry. No, no, that's fine. Just had it's, to get that off my chest. It it bore mentioning. But back to Vashti, Dare James, where uh, they, they've arrived. They have arrived at Vashti, and they can't get in. They're locked out of that. Have you, have, James, have you ever been locked out of a planet? You know how annoying that is? I did lock myself out of my apartment once. Mm-hmm. Did you call the central station and, and tell them who you were? The worst part was I left my cell phone in the apartment, and I had to ask a neighbor to call my daddy <laughs> and he came over with a spare key did you have to bribe him because that's what picard has to do to get on this planet no my father's a good man okay well the romulans maybe not so much now one interesting thing that i took from this scene james as we said it's implied that picard has to give them a hefty bribe in order to get onto this planet which means he seems to have a decent amount of cash on hand. Now, if you recall, Rios also mentioned that he was quite expensive. So you have to imagine he's getting paid a pretty penny, which I have to ask, how does Picard have all this money? Like, I understand that he's a successful former admiral and that he wrote all these books and that he runs his own winery. But he does all this on Earth at the heart of the Federation where there is allegedly no more money. So you would think that he would not have this cash on hand. And the Federation certainly isn't giving him a credit card to use. So what I have to wonder is, does he have like agents like Ferengi, let's say, agents that run his wine and his books out to the parts of the galaxy that still use currency, and is he getting a cut of that that way? I think you said it yourself, too, with credit cards. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. Deep Space Nine, Quark with the, with credits, and obviously the, the gold-pressed latinum. So that's my theory on that, too. I think you're 100% right. Anyway, so he, something to think about, but not right now, because right now we're talking about how he beams down to Vashti, and, you know, he Jolan trues everybody like uh, he's, he's the mayor and nobody cares. Like a couple of people make note of who he is. A couple of people recognize him. But on the whole, nobody wants him there. Nobody cares that he's really there. He's just wasting his breath. But he does manage to find the the sisters, the warrior nuns. And honestly, just a sidebar. Those warrior nuns made me wonder if maybe one of the writers of this show was watching Watchmen. I don't know if you saw <laughs> this, uh, the first season of Watchmen on HBO, but if you did, you'll know what I'm talking about. So he finds them and they are happy to see him. They, they give him a warm welcome. And we also see that the little boy who, uh, you know, Picard fenced with and read to Elnor, he's all grown up now. He's a man, baby. Which is weird because the warrior nuns didn't age and they, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes there, but they mentioned that too. So I'd like to know more about that. No, he says that she hasn't aged and she calls him on that. I think it's just supposed to be, you look like you haven't aged. Not that they hadn't actually aged. Oh, okay. He was, he was being, con honestly, she did look good. 
And I have to wonder how much of that is just lazy makeup work. But <laughs> she she did look good all those years later. She did look pretty much like she did 14 years prior. Although I think Picard looks a lot like he did 14 years prior in these scenes, too. So eh, it's a nitpick. The Panama Jack outfit made him look younger. <laughs> That's true. But then we head back to the artifact and we see Ramda laid out on a medical slab. She is still alive, it would seem. She's she's got vital signs up on on a holographic display and, you know, and um Soji is there and Narek is also there and he knows her. He knows about her. Uh, it's a tragedy what happened to her. And uh you know, we don't know why he knows her, but it's kind of implied that he knows a lot of stuff. So, it's not something that's ever explained. While they're having a conversation, in flies this little drone, this medical drone that scans her. And James, this reminded me of something from my youth, something called Captain Power, which was a series, a television series. I had a VHS tape. It was really kind of ahead of its time. Uh, it was a it was a series all on its own, but it also had accessories like light guns in the shape of ships that you could actually shoot the this television screen and score points and interact with the show and i had the the like the good guy ship in that and this drone kind of reminded me of a cross between the hero ship and the villain ship in that show it also reminded me a little bit of the ship from star fox not the not the arwing fighters like the mothership that they the carrier ship that they used uh, i mean that's neither here nor there but i just thought i'd mention it i just thought i'd mention it so anyway, this is foolish. <laughs> move it along. Move it along. Come on. Come on. So Soji talks about how she feels seen by Ramda. And uh, I didn't care. Like, I know I'm supposed to, but I just don't care. I really I'm struggling to care about this storyline. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, writers. I'm sorry, actors. I'm sure you're all doing your best, but I just don't care. We cannot allow ourselves to think that. But um, this conversation between Soji and Narek ends up with them on a date. They're in the mess hall, <laughs> drinking Romulan ale and being flirty and talking like they always do. And, you know, the, the Romulan ale kind of leads to a conversation where Soji asks if he's tall she are, and he says no. And she says, uh, if you were, would you still say no? And he said, yeah. So who knows? <laughs> I mean, we, we figure he's probably Jatvash, but, yeah, that that whole thing is a little muddy. But um, she asks him if he has records, if he has access to the records of what happened to Ramda. And he's like, no, but I might know somebody who does. And then, James, they go ice skating for some reason. <laughs> That's one good Romulan tradition I actually like. Borg tradition, James. Excuse me, it was Borg. An, it's an ancient Borg ritual. I apologize. You're right, sir. And uh, they go down to some hallway that's part of the environmental system and take off their shoes and just start sliding around the floor. And it's cute. It's all so cute. And they wind up kissing and smooching. And, and then Narek randomly antagonizes her and calls her a liar. Yeah, especially with Valentine's Day uh, being around this time as this podcast is uh, being recorded. That's not a good move, guy. I mean, I don't know what Romulan pillow talk is like, but, you know, here here on Earth, that kind of thing doesn't really get a lady in the mood, I don't think. Yeah, yeah I mean, even I know that. Right. 
So they 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 end with a little bit of friction there. And uh, back back to the more interesting storyline. We go back to Vashti. The Romulans know that Picard is there because on the ship they've been monitoring the comms traffic. They also know that that bird of prey that we've seen in all the trailers, she's a coming. She's close. She will be there soon. And so uh, Picard is like, that's great. You take care of that. I'm, I'm doing my thing here. Not my problem. And he's talking to the sisters about how he needs their help. And they say, well, you know, actually, you should take Elnor with you because he's passed all of his training to be one of us, except he can never be one of us because he's a boy. And this is a no boys allowed club. So, uh, you know, it's basically you or nothing. So I don't know, man, like this absolute candor thing, the way of absolute can't the way of absolute candor. That seems to me like nothing more than an excuse to spell things out to the audience like that. That should just kind of be implied. They can just say it and beat us over the head some more. Exactly. I think this is where the writer's hands are tied because they're not just dealing with us Star Trek fans. They're trying to expand to other people, too. So I'm trying to keep my patience with that in mind as well. But I think that they have to kind of spell things out and spoon feed the non-Star Trek fan. That's just my guess. I know. It's just just annoying to me. Anyway. Uh, Yeah, because I don't think if if you're watching the show, I don't think you're a stupid person. So exactly. I don't know. Anyway, so Picard then settles down. He, 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 he goes for a walk and sits down with Elnor to try and recruit him per request. And uh, so, so he lays the pitch on him. My friend Data died and, you know, he had these two kids, except he didn't. It's weird. Don't worry about it. And, uh, you know, so I need your help. And he's like, I remember you talking about Data. He had a cat named Spot. Yes, he did. He did have that cat. Oh, cool. Well, you know, it sounds like you have a really interesting story and it sounds like uh, you really need my help. So no, suck it, old man. (laughs) You left me. I'm leaving you. Boom. Elnor out. Uh, So Picard is saddened and calls the ship for his ride, basically. And they're like, yeah, this 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 plot shield doesn't open for another seven minutes, so Ooh. we'll pick you up when we can. Ooh. And uh, so he's like, okay, cool. And he walks out to town and he gets an idea in his head. You can see it. It's the one thing they don't actually spell out for us. We have to figure it out on his own. He takes an idea into his head and he decides to pick a fight with the Romulans. And so he goes into the Romulans only social club, sits down and calls for the waiter and uh, basically makes himself ostentatious and obnoxious so that they will, you know, want to fight him. And it works. A former Romulan senator calls his bluff. He uh, he gets up and he starts talking about how Picard made all these lofty promises on behalf of the Federation and didn't deliver on any of them. And he tried to manipulate and use the Romulans when they were at their lowest. And Picard vehemently denies that. And the senator basically challenges him to a duel. (laughs) How convenient. See, Mm -hmm. James, it's a callback. It's a callback to the fencing with Elnor at the beginning of the episode. Oh, it's clever. 
Wow. So they go out in the middle of the street. He gives him a sword. They they do a little bit of, you know, thrust and parry. And the Picard throws his sword down. He's like, I will not fight you. And dude's like, funny, I do not feel the same way. And then who should ride to his rescue but Elnor? I never saw that coming, James. That was not at all obvious. No. So the plan worked. He obviously picked a fight in the hopes that Elnor would change his mind and decide to defend the frail old man. And he got played like a fiddle and came and he did, in fact, decide to defend him. And he used some kind of like crouching tiger hidden matrix moves, does a weird like spin and then cuts a dude's head off. Well, at least he gave him fair warning. He did. He said, I would prefer not to kill you. Please stand down. The guy does not. And he's like, all right. And cuts his head off. He's like, I regret your choice. <laughs> this one's on you, pal. So then Picard apologizes. He, he gives a grandiose apology, telling them, yes, the Federation did fail you. I failed you. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Some other guy pulls out a disruptor and he's like, yep, two to beam out. We're going now. And they they leave. They they beam up to the ship. At which point Picard, who just had his life saved by Elnor, who he abandoned and who has every right to feel anger and spite towards him. He then immediately turns on him and chews him out for killing that guy. Yeah, great point. The bow on this scene, the cap, is that we discover that the what they've been dancing around for the whole episode is that the terms for one of these Kowat Malat people to take up your cause is that it has to be a lost cause. So Picard does not see this mission as being successful, but he's doing it anyway. That's the implication. Careful, you might uh, work some subtlety into your next script if you don't watch it. <laughs> From there, we go back to the artifact and Narek is caressed awake by his sister, oh. Rizzo. I'm deeply concerned about what is happening here. And th honestly, I'm not even going to bother with this scene. There's threats and innuendo and we learn nothing new. It's just the same runaround nonsense that we've been getting for four episodes with these two. So draw your own conclusions. I'm not going to paint that picture for you. We go back to the USS Van Halen and the bird of prey has arrived. James, the, the time of reckoning is nigh. Is there a Van Halen song to describe this scene aptly? Huh. Well, um, I did say fair warning. That was a, an album and a, and a reference in uh, mean street. Um, let's see, uh, for a ship to come in and start a fight out of nowhere, I guess you could probably use the song off of the album 5150, uh, get up. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a shame that it's not 14 years ago, or you could talk about Picard's suit that was from Panama, <laughs> Panama, oh, 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 Panama. Well done, sir. But we're not there. We're here. So this beautiful, beautiful bird of prey shows up and starts shooting at them. And instead of just warping away, they make some kind of uh, 
I don't know, some kind of passing nod to the idea that they won't be able to outrun them. So they have to stand and fight because they're more maneuverable. But honestly, I think it's just a fight scene for fight scene's sake. And I'm okay with it to an extent because, like I said, that ship is beautiful. And the choreography of these two ships is a little confusing, but it also looks great. But I don't really, I don't know. It seems a little forced to me. But um, so so this bird of prey arrives and uh, Captain Rios is astride his chair, chomping on a cigar, which makes him look grizzled. James, he's experienced. He's seen some stuff. And so he like pulls up uh, this captain's holographic interface, which is something they really should have had on the Enterprise. But uh, I guess he had capable crew that he could order around. He didn't have to do everything himself. And uh, Rios does some fancy flying. He summons Emmett, which is this like drunk Spanish Mexican looking hologram. And uh, he, he only speaks Spanish. And he uh, I assume Emmett is short for like emergency tactical hologram because he he's like, I'll do the shooting, even though he does no shooting. <laughs> and um, so that that's 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 my suspicion. And uh, they they kind of go back and forth. They play cat and mouse, but they seem to be in a little bit of a corner with this ship when out of nowhere, lo and behold, a tiny little ship that they have no account of and, and, and no idea what or who it is comes and comes to their aid and starts shooting and, and, and doing some amazing piloting. And in fact, gets a shot off that cripples the uh, bird of prey, it, it lasers off one of the nacelles. And so uh, unfortunately in that exchange, the ship also gets damaged and like ba- basically loses control and heads into the planetary shield. The pilot of this ship hails the USS Van Halen, the <laughs> SSVH and Picard immediately reflexively answers open a channel before he remembers that he is not in fact the captain of this ship and kind of uh, awkwardly defers to Rios who's like yeah yeah fine and (laughs) then they don't open a channel for reasons now I know what the reason is because they want to surprise us with who the pilot is but instead of actually opening a channel they uh Raffi just says oh the pilot wants to be beamed out because the ship is breaking up so Picard's like yep Beam him right here. And Rios is like, fine, fine, fine. Do it. Whatever. And they do. They do beam this daring pilot onto the ship. And we discover that it is none other than Seven of Nine. And we know it's Seven of Nine because Picard sees her and says, Seven of Nine. Because we're all very dumb. And we don't know that 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 is, in fact, who it is. And she uh, she kind of very coolly responds, you owe me a ship, Picard, and then collapses. And and that's how the show ends. And then, of course, we get a next time on Star Trek Picard. So it looks like the next episode, uh, they are finally going to make it to free cloud, it seems. And it also seems like it's going to be a holodeck adventure episode without the holodeck. They dress in silly costumes. It reminds me a lot of the Royale episode of The Next Generation, where they they wound up in a like 20s era casino or what have you. And uh, that that was like a one of those weird kind of 
original series holdovers where they they beam down to a planet that randomly looks like something from earth history with no explanation and and was just created by a random higher power i don't know and uh so so they they have their little casino adventure and it kind of ends with seven of nine coming in dual wielding phasers and so you know that looks like it's going to be exciting and probably a lot silly but it's something to look forward to but uh, something that I always look forward to on this show is when I ask you, James, what did you think of this episode? Analysis. Again, overall, it was really good. I think you hit all of the uh, the facts that we needed to know from the episode. I liked it better than the previous episode three. Um, it's better to see the background of the Romulans and Admiral Picard's relationship with them. I did like also when he was on Planet Vashti, and when he picked a fight with those people in that uh, cafe, if you will, that on the outside of it, it looked like there were some wind decorations that were very, very reminiscent of the uh, Deep Space Nine huh. Terraknor. The pylons? If, uh, yeah, I, I know that I there's, there's th- that. three of them, in, obviously, in, in uh, Deep Space Nine on, on the station, but it looked like it was four of them, but they were very reminiscent to me of uh, that style. Also, yes, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of uh dr um gerardi and she's a little bit overly annoying so yeah stop beating us over the head with these things please i hope that they kind of calm down with that in future episodes it seems to be fairly predictable yes um we we knew seven of nine was involved so we kind of figured that that's who that was but still i thought that was a nice delivery and a pretty cool introduction for her I don't know why that they referred to her as Seven of Nine, though, not her actual human name, but... I don't... I mean, I'm pretty sure in Voyager, like, she she kind of rejected that name because she wasn't comfortable with it. She was Seven of Nine. That was her identity. Okay. You know, I think Annika Hansen, I think, was her real name, but she never really, you know, settled into that when the series ended, she was seven of nine. So okay. that's probably how people in the Federation would know her. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. So there, there's yeah. something that I could take off the checklist. Yeah. The action scenes were good, especially the, the fight scenes with uh, Elnor. That was, that was really slick looking. And it, you said it very well with the matrix like and all that. And the battle with the, the bird of prey too. I would have liked it to have been a little longer because yeah. uh, I do love seeing that the uh, SS uh, 50, NCC 5150 and all that. But Still, um, overall, I thought it was a good episode. It flowed well, and it's really, the shows are consistent. So that's all I guess anybody could hope for. It looks slick. Special effects are great. And um, I, I want to know what happens. So that, I think all uh, it accomplishes that. Yeah, unfortunately, I was kind of spoiled on the reveal of the pilot because I had checked IMDb while I was watching the episode to see like one of the actors or two of the actors reminded me of somebody and I wasn't sure who they were. So I went to check and I saw that she was part of the episode. So I was like, yeah, okay, that's who it's going to be. But uh, that's, that's my own fault. That's the risk you take. And I knew that going in. So that's not on them. I, I guess James, I guess our crew is assembled now. I guess we know, you know, we have everybody who's I mean, obviously they could surprise us, but it seems like we have our crew pretty locked for the rest of this series. So I don't know. This is what we have to look forward to going going ahead and look forward to it. I do. And so uh, another thing I look forward to is to know what you think. I would love very much 
for you to tell us what you thought of this episode. What is there something we missed? Is there some insight that you have? What do you think about our theories? Let us know. Email us, tweet at us, get us on Facebook and Instagram. We are Vintage Picard. We want to hear from you. So let us know what you think. And if you have not done so already, we would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. We are so many places and we are trying to get in a few more. So please subscribe to this podcast. I will tell you something that you may not know because I didn't know. I just discovered this. If you don't subscribe to the podcast, if you just go looking for it in like say an iTunes feed or Apple podcast feed, it may not be there. The episode that we just dropped, this episode may not be there when we drop it. But if you subscribe, it'll wind up in your feed, in your podcatcher before it winds up in the general feed when you look for it. So if you want more Vintage Picard, you go subscribe, you go get you some Vintage Picard. So you will know the next time we drop a Vintage Picard. So until that time, we will sit here and bid you adieu in the intervening week. And we will bid you until next time, safe travels. Thanks everybody. I want to say Greenfield. That's not the name of the planet. Where are they? Where are they trying to go? Oh, the the cloud something or other. Yeah, something cloud. Um, free cloud. Yeah, Greenfield. <laughs> I've I've got Churrascaria on the brain. Here I am doing a Picard podcast, and all I want is Brazilian barbecue. <laughs> you got any? No, unfortunately. Ah, all right. I guess we'll just have to continue the show.